Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Lauren Stevens, author of the new novel, All Sorrows Can Be Born. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. I'm delighted to be with you. Wonderful. If someone hasn't heard about your novel, All Sorrows Can Be Born Yet, how would you describe the novel? Um, It's a historical novel inspired by a true story, uh, that true story is of my husband's life and journey. My main character is a young girl born in Hiroshima by the name of Noriko Ito, and she aspires to be an actress, and her father pays for dancing and singing lessons, and unfortunately, when she tries out for the Takarazuka Theater Academy, she fails, and so she has to redefine her life and ends up as a waitress in a very upscale restaurant in the Namba district of Osaka. Uh, And as fate would have it, she falls in love with the mysterious and handsome tea room manager, Ichiro. And after several years of flirting and eyeing one another against uh, the Um, directions of the tea room manager or the tea room owner who doesn't like her uh, employees to fraternize with one another. After all, this was the early 50s, and I guess that wasn't done so often. Um, Ichiro and Noriko marry, and she becomes pregnant during their honeymoon, uh, and it gives birth to a beautiful baby boy whom Ichiro refers to as their love child because he was conceived on their honeymoon. And during her nine months of pregnancy, Ichiro contracts tuberculosis, uh, which cracks apart all of the dreams that they have for creating a happy and wonderful family. <clears throat> He's sent away to spend months and months in a sanitarium for tuberculosis patients, uh, and she struggles to support the family. And after about two and a half years, Ichiro comes up with the uh, proposition that they give their little boy away to his sister, who is now living in Glendive, Montana, with his Japanese-American husband, whom she met when he served on the American side during the Korean War. They'd never been able to have children of their own and nine years of marriage and trying as best they could. They had really given up hope. And now they had the chance to receive this perfect, beautiful baby boy. Of course, Noriko struggles with this decision and she strikes a bargain, hoping that by giving her son away, somehow that will save Ichiro's life because he will no longer be living with the shame of not being able to support them and regain his strength. And perhaps they can go on and have another child in the future, although no child could ever replace her firstborn. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. Um, And I don't want to give away a spoiler too much, but Ichiro dies and uh, Noriko is left a a childless mother and a widow. Uh, But 20 years later, her son, now, of course, living in the United States and entering the Navy, 
uh, because he feels that that's the only way he's going to go back to see his mother. He's deployed to Japan and um, they're ultimately reunited. Uh, And the final scene of the book, which was the hardest one for me to write, uh, is that reunion and what these two people would share what they would reveal about the li- their lives in the intervening years. So um, that's the book. The tags of the book are uh, Japanese-American relations, immigration policies, tra- family trauma, uh, adoption, um, and there are a lot more. Well, you just mentioned that it was based on a story from your husband's life. W- what prompted you uh, to write the novel? Um, well, he's the little boy in the story, um, who is now, of course, a grown man. And we're, we've been married uh, for about 22 years. But after we had met, he shared a bit of his story with me. And the question that I had, having being a mother myself of a son is how could a woman do this? How could she choose to give, give away her child? And that question just plagued me. And of course he really had no answers because he was disassociated from his mother for many, many years. And when he did meet her, he didn't really probe too much about his background. So I wanted to uncover the story. Um, and so I went to Japan. Um, I needed a translator because my uh, husband's birth mother speaks no English. She only speaks Japanese. And unfortunately, I don't speak any Japanese. So I asked my husband's adoptive mother, who was born in Osaka, to go with me on this journey. And she served as my translator. And we spent 10 days there, during which time I recorded all of the interviews with uh, Noriko slash Miyoko um, and came back with a treasure trove of material um, that I then used as part of the background for the novel that I was going to craft. Well, in addition to these interviews with his um, birth mother, what what kind of other research did you do for this novel? Well, of course, I interviewed my husband because now I had a targeted questions I wanted to ask him, uh, and he was very forthcoming and sharing what he could. I interviewed his adoptive parents, uh, especially his adoptive father, Harry, who was tasked with working his way through all of the bureaucracy that it took to bring a child from Japan to the United States. Uh, It was during, it was in the early 60s when uh, President Kennedy was doing his best to improve relations between the two countries. Um, And the quota system was extremely strict with respect to the Japanese. Only 250 Japanese were allowed into this country at that time. And he was trying to raise the quota. Um, and so the the inter, the re- research that I did was very um, broad brushed. I looked at documentaries of the bombing of Hiroshima, for example. I read Seymour Hershey's book on Hiroshima, which was originally uh, appeared in The New Yorker and then became a standalone book. 
I watched movies, uh, not fiction movies about Japan, uh, as well as nonfiction movies. I did an enormous amount of reading uh, nonfiction books as well uh, on the history of this period. Um, totally immersed myself. Uh, I went down the proverbial research rabbit hole and I finally had to kind of put a stop to it and say, no, I've got to sit down and write this book and what's missing I can pick up as I go along or I could have stalled out the process for another 10 years. Sure. Well, I know this is a very broad topic, but I'm curious, um, given your research and, you know, obviously your husband, what do you think most Americans don't understand or appreciate about the Japanese American experience? Um, I think one of the things is how the friendship between the two countries uh, after a horrific war mm -hmm. uh, in which, you know, the Japanese dropped uh, bombs on Pearl Harbor, and of course the United States dropped two atom bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, um, how that relationship could have been repaired after the war, what it took to bring these two countries together. Uh, and I also think that there are a lot of misconceptions about in the United States about the Japanese character um, and what they went through uh, during the war. I think that, you know, as an American, we tend to see things a bit uh, myopically. You know, we look at events through our own uh, national lens, as it were, and we don't often try to figure out how the Japanese experienced what was happening to them uh, and how they saw us. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Um, and they were extremely open to uh, the notion of creating a friendship. I mean, the United States helped rebuild their economy. Um, an American woman helped craft their constitution, which after the war gave rights to women in Japan, voting rights to women. Before then, they had never been allowed to vote. Um, and... I think those are probably some of the more obvious misconceptions um, that I tried to dispel uh, in in my novel. Sure. And I think also just a, an exploration of individual Japanese people and their character. Um, I think we probably have some caricatures of of the Japanese of being, you know, subservient, obedient, et cetera, et cetera maybe lacking in a sense of humor. And really none of that is true. Uh, you know, behind the public face are very complex people, is very complex people. Um, and also people who love to have a good time. I mean, that's something I discovered spending time with my husband's 
birth mother who, you know, just adores parties and uh, going to karaoke bars and (laughs) just having, you know, uh, as blissfully a happy life given the circumstances uh, that she had lived through. That's great. Well, you have a ghostwriting business and have ghostwritten other books. How does the ghostwriting process work for you? Um, I have, uh, oh, I opened my ghostwriting company about 15 years ago. I have seven journalists who work with me and I mix and match them with uh, my author clients. Um, sometimes I will take on a project if I find it to be particularly fascinating. Um, and the whole process of ghostwriting in general um, is is fabulous. I mean, first of all, I'm helping my authors, uh, you know, tell their story, whether it's a story of building a business, of living through the Holocaust, of being a World War II American vet who then gets dispatched to Vietnam, spending his entire career in the military, uh, a woman who is the head of her own um, beauty products company, um, you know, but always I find that uh, everyone has a fascinating story to tell if you just are patient and ask the open-ended questions. I, I love to quote um, Terry Gross on NPR. Her book title is All I Did Was Ask. Um <laughs> You, you might be familiar with that book. And yes. I you know, love to listen to her when I'm driving around Los Angeles, caught in traffic, although this past year we haven't had much of that. Um, you know, and that, that I think is the skill set that is fundamentally necessary in being a ghostwriter is being able to ask the open-ended questions that will reveal the story. And, um, you know, I took that skill set into writing my novel, uh, because I did have to interview so many people to try and get at least part of the story. Well, given all of the research that you did for your novel, All Sorrows Can Be Born, when you sat down to write it, did you plot the novel extensively? Well, because it's based on a true story, um, I kind of had the beginning and the middle and the end already in my mind. Um, but it was the interstitial parts and a cast of characters that I had to create in order to move the story along. Um, and I, you know, I grabbed from historical characters. I created avatars for well-known, you know, bold-faced headline people. Um, there's a shout out to Sumner Redstone in there. <laughs> I don't know if anyone will pick up on that, but, you know, he actually uh, spoke fluent Japanese and studied with uh, Edwin Reischauer at Harvard uh, and went to Japan to set up a satellite relay um, to have simultaneous simulcast between the United States and Japan. And I bring him into my story with his wife. I won't tip my hand and tell you how I did that. <laughs> um, so you know, you know, I had I had a general framework, but there was certainly a lot of missing pieces and parts, which is in part why I chose to write it as a novel rather than a family memoir. 
Gotcha. So given your experience of writing this novel, as well as all of your ghostwriting experience as well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Um, that's a great question, Jeff. Um, I think, first of all, be prepared for a long journey. You know, uh, novels and memoirs aren't built in a day unless you're extremely, extremely lucky. Um, <laughs> All Sorrows took me 10 years to write and seven drafts. Uh, two literary agents who I jettisoned and eventually sold the book on my own uh, because I wasn't happy with the advice I was being given. So just know that, you know, you need to be in it for the long haul. And and because that is the case, um, you really have to choose, in, in the case of a novel, um, a subject that you really, really feel passionately about. You know, you may not, I mean, I, I really dislike the, um, the, the tenant, write what you know. I don't believe that. I, I feel more, you write what you feel you're curious about what you want to know um, and what you feel passionately about, especially if there's an overarching question, as in my case, why would a mother give it a, a little boy away? Um, and in the case of a memoir, um, you know, you're, you're sort of, you're, you're the subject and you're also the object. Um, you know, you have to uh, step back from yourself, but, also dig deep um, in order to to write that memoir. And again, you know, take the time uh, to allow the story to unravel. You may feel in the beginning you know all the answers, but if you can't surprise yourself, um, then the story is going to be kind of flat. So uh, as a writer, you hope to be surprised. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, I just finished a book called Leave the World Behind, which is about a pandemic. And it was one of those books that you open and you have to read it till you're finished. You know, you just, I don't yeah. know how many meals, you, you know, how many meals you miss, but <laughs> um, I absolutely love that book. And now I'm reading uh the Sunshine Girl uh, by Juliana Margulies, uh, her her new memoir, which I am really loving. I don't know, you know, what my ultimate um, feeling will be about the book at the end of the day, but so far so good. I'm, you know, curious to know what happens next, and of course, I adore her as an actress uh, in The Good Wife, and before that in ER, and you know, she's so charming. Um, that I am drawn to the material just on the basis of what I do know about her. And I'm curious to find out what I don't know about her. That's great. So those are the two books I'm reading, you know, at this particular moment. Well, where can people find you online if they're interested in learning more about you and your novel, All Sorrows Can Be Born? Uh-huh. Um, I have two main websites. One is my company website, which is called Write. That's spelled W-R-I-T-E wisdom.com. Uh, and it lists all the books we've done and gives backgrounds on my team and myself. Um, and then I've created an author page, which I was recommended to do by my publicist. Uh, and the author page is Lar Lauren, L-O-R-E-N-M 
Stevens, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S.com. And on that page, you'll find an excerpt from the book and links to a bunch of essays and short stories that I've written um, and, and some press coverage. I have an incredible PR firm working with me uh, right now since the book launched last week. And I'm just amazed at the amount of coverage the book is getting from podcasters like yourself. And now, of course, I'm fingers crossed on how the book is reviewed. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Lauren Stevens, author of the new novel, All Sorrows Can Be Born. The book is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Lauren, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.